Hey friends, this is Linda and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two questions. What does it mean and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, Fulfilled in Your Hearing, we're looking at Luke chapter 4 verses 14 through 21, where Jesus introduced the purpose of his earthly ministry to see what the things he proclaimed meant then and what they mean for us today. Let's get started. Have you ever gotten in trouble as a kid for talking back to your parents or any grown up for that matter? This was something that I got in trouble for constantly because, well, I had opinions. I still do. The way I was raised, especially in Korean American culture, you don't question your marching orders. When a parent gave you a command, they didn't wait around for you to answer or even acknowledge that you heard them. Whether they told you to turn off the TV, go clean your room, come downstairs for dinner, they didn't discuss it with you or even give you a time window in which to do it. It was always do it, do it now, no questions. And this bled into all aspects of our lives. They didn't ask if you wanted to go with them anywhere. They would just make a sweeping proclamation. We're going to the market or we're going to grandma's house or we're going to the dentist. And it was expected that you were to just go. And unfortunately for me, it had always been really hard for me to just do as I was told. I always found a need to explain myself and ask questions about the instructions I'd been given. And now that my own kids do this to me all the time, I can kind of see how disrespectful and annoying that must have been. In today's text in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, we're actually going to see a time when Jesus made a proclamation in a similar fashion to our parents. But the implications for not following through on the things he proclaimed are far greater than simply getting scolded by a parent. Because what Jesus proclaimed impacts us both spiritually and physically and what God wants for us as individuals and as a people belonging to God. So today's text signifies the beginning of Jesus' public ministry on earth. Earlier in Luke 4, we would see the account of his temptation in the wilderness, which we will circle back to during the Easter season. Um, But at this point, Jesus had already begun doing God's work all throughout Galilee, and news of his renown had reached the ears of his hometown. So they were most likely expectant when Jesus returned to Nazareth, the town where he was brought up, and that he would give them special treatment one way or another, the insider scoop about being famous, maybe. But Jesus goes about doing ordinary things there, just as he had been raised to do, including going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there he was given a scroll containing the words of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus read the following excerpt, which we now know is from Isaiah chapters 58 and 61. And it goes like this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, we should note that Jesus didn't read a passage of scripture at random. Jesus 
deliberately chose this passage from the scroll that had been handed to him to read aloud that day. In the context of Isaiah, these verses were indicative of what the prophet believed was his own calling, and as a messenger of God, Isaiah was indeed called to do these things, especially as a prophet during the time of exile for Israel. But Isaiah was not the Savior. The people would wait for a very long time, centuries, before the real Savior would emerge, and the people had grown accustomed to waiting, and it was part of their spiritual practice. So all those present in the synagogue that day when Jesus read this passage aloud knew the context of these words from Isaiah. This was the hope that their people had been waiting on for generations for the day the Messiah would come and liberate them from their plight, especially now as they were living under Roman rule. Now this is why what Jesus says next in Luke chapter 4 verse 21 must have come as a huge shock. Because what Jesus says is, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is a bold statement. Jesus showed that this passage he just read in Isaiah was essentially his mission statement on earth. What the people had understand to mean that one day the Savior would come, Jesus was saying, The Savior is here. The Savior is now. The Savior is me. And we'll find out next week how exactly the people in his hometown responded to this proclamation. But this week, let's focus on this mission statement. What did Jesus say he came to do? The word that gets repeated in this text is the word proclaim. What the text in Isaiah says, which is now manifested in Jesus, is that the Savior has come to proclaim specific things. Now, a proclamation is different than just making a statement. What's inherent in a proclamation is that whatever the speaker is announcing, it will come to pass one way or another. When royal proclamations were made by order of his or her majesty in the past, then all the kingdom workers were to enact and enforce this proclamation, and all the citizens were to abide by whatever was stated in this announcement. It was binding, and you were accountable to it simply because you heard it. Now, Similarly, Jesus told the people in the synagogue that this scripture was fulfilled in their hearing. By hearing the words of Jesus reading the words of Isaiah, They were bound to this proclamation that he was the Messiah. And as the Messiah, as the Savior, he had come to proclaim good news. He had come to proclaim freedom. And he had come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now let's break that down a little bit. The first thing Jesus said he came to proclaim was good news. But the passage is specific. It doesn't just say he came to proclaim good news. The Savior would come to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, the poor in this context is not only in reference to someone's socioeconomic status. Poor is more of an umbrella term that covers all the ways someone might have been perceived as low in status in first century Palestine standards. Gender gender family history, education, 
occupation, disabilities, illnesses, and even the degree of their religious and ancestral purity. And we know this because much of the animosity between Jews and Samaritans originated from the fact that Jews at the time looked down on Samaritans for their history of intermarrying with those who they considered as pagans. Now, as you can imagine, there were many ways someone could be marginalized in society back in the day. But what does Jesus proclaim? Jesus proclaims good news for the poor. Jesus was stepping over these socially determined boundaries and saying that the poor, all classifications of poor, were welcome to the good news of God. While society saw them as outsiders, Jesus purposefully ministered to those who the world considered outsiders and showed that they were not out of reach of God's grace. In fact, Jesus was showing that they were in fact the object of God's grace and the center of Jesus's earthly ministry. This was thoroughly good news. Those who had always been the outcasts now had a seat at the table. And not only were they being given a way to salvation and freedom, but they were given a place with Jesus and with God. And that's another thing the Savior came to proclaim, which was freedom. Like how the word poor covered a bunch of different subcategories, the freedom Jesus is proclaiming is an overarching term as well. Now, the first way is the most obvious one, that Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. We read that in the text. Now, this is literal freedom because these were people who were actually incarcerated somehow. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was going to go and start a jailbreak and let all the guilty convicts go free. And we know this because there is no record of Jesus doing anything even remotely close to something like this. So what does it mean when Jesus said that he would proclaim freedom for prisoners? Jesus wanted to liberate those who were wrongfully accused and were therefore being treated unfairly as a result of a broken justice system. He wanted people to be shown mercy and be offered opportunities for restitution rather than unjust punishment. The text also says in this category of proclamation of freedom is also freedom for the sick. The text says recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus came to this earth before the invention of modern medicine. So once you fell ill, it was very likely that you would not survive. Now, Jesus came to show that even sickness, which seemed very final back in the day, even sickness had no power over the Son of God. Healing was possible, and the Savior himself proclaimed it that day. And the third kind of freedom relates to the declassification of the poor we were just talking about. The text describes it as to set the oppressed free. Jesus, throughout the course of his ministry, would come across all kinds of oppressed and poor people, and everything Jesus did in his interactions with them was to set them free. He didn't just heal someone with leprosy. He had that man go show himself to a priest so that he could be reinstated back into society. 
He didn't just heal a woman suffering from chronic hemorrhages. He called her out in a crowd and declared that she had been indeed made clean. He didn't just speak with a tax collector who had been hiding out in a tree. He called him down and then dined with him at his place. Jesus proclaimed all manner of freedom for all manner of people whose various forms of freedom had been stripped away. And lastly, in the text, it says that Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in quoting from Isaiah, Jesus said that this is the year that he would be proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what is that exactly? So the year of the Lord's favor is a nod to the year of Jubilee outlined in the book of Leviticus. And this was supposed to be a time where they were supposed to release all their indentured servants. And by law, it was to occur every 50th year and everyone should be allowed to go home and all debts were to be canceled. However, this was unfortunately most likely never practiced. So this year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, served as more of an image of God's promise for Israel's future. For that day, God will restore the Israelites to their land. By Jesus stating that this scripture was fulfilled today in their hearing, he was saying the year of Jubilee, that one day you had been thinking about, is this year. It's time to let go of the servants. It's time to cancel the debts. It's time to exercise freedom the way God gives it. And all those things I'm proclaiming, it's going to happen right now. So all of that happened over 2,000 years ago. What does it mean for us today? Now, don't you see? The minute Jesus gave this inaugural address in that synagogue in his hometown, all those things were to come true. Jesus proclaimed that he had come to do these things and that beginning the moment he spoke, he would bring these things into existence. This was no longer some abstract hope or vision in the distant future. Jesus began on that day his mission to free people from all the structures that bound them, sin, society, the system, and to teach us all how to live as free people loved by God. And yet, when we look around the world today, it doesn't seem like much has changed from that time Jesus had read that Isaiah scripture. Our world is still riddled with all kinds of oppression for all the definitions of the poor mentioned earlier. Justice systems are still corrupt. Sickness abounds. So if the scripture was fulfilled that day, why aren't we living in a peaceful utopia already? Now it's because a proclamation isn't a panacea. The proclamation alone won't get the job done, even if it was made by the Son of God himself, because there's work, serious work, to be done to enact and enforce the proclamation. And Jesus paved the way and showed us how to do the work during the three years his ministry on earth lasted. And in addition to that, he gave us unimaginable freedom that we can't acquire anywhere else when he died on that cross. 
But now it's up to us, all of us who have heard this message, to make the scripture continue to be fulfilled. So what does that look like for you personally? Do you need to open your eyes and pay attention to all the oppression and injustice going on around you that you never really cared about before? Do you need to deconstruct your worldviews, maybe unlearn some of your old ways of thinking so that you can be more accepting of those who you never would have thought to include? Or maybe you are in need of freedom yourself because you are in the margins and you need to be liberated. Whatever it is you are called to do as a result of hearing this message, now that you've heard it, you are bound to the things Jesus proclaimed. So go do it. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This seems like such an obvious statement, yet we don't live this way, do we? We have somehow got it in our minds that Christ set us free so that we can lock ourselves back up in a box of religious traditions. Christ set us free so that we can hide ourselves in our own Christian bubbles. Christ set us free so that we can cage ourselves in self-loathing and insecurity and hatred of others. But friends, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Jesus proclaimed good news. Jesus proclaimed freedom and the day of the Lord's favor that day in the town of Nazareth. And guess what? He proclaims it for you today. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us ears to hear your words. And in hearing, thank you for fulfilling what was said in Scripture, for being the kind of Savior who not only gave us complete freedom from the power of sin, but proclaims freedom over all the ways in which we've been oppressed and have oppressed others. Forgive us, God, for choosing to live in captivity when you have given us such glorious freedom. Teach us how to live as a people who are free and to advance that message of freedom through our words and practice so that all who hear it will know that you are indeed God and the Savior of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.